Welcome to the Truth Lover webinar and podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating and celebrating the true nature of the human being. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this place as new earth ninjas. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act, to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks and other resources found on loveandtruthparty.org and then to pay it forward in a social experiment of what it is to be the change. We are fortunate today to be joined by an extraordinary individual. Nick Jankel is an international keynote speaker, a 21st century wisdom teacher, an award-winning author, philosopher, futurist, network TV host on BBC and MTV. And he develops original thinking and powerful tools to ensure people can leverage the combined power of both cutting-edge science and timeless wisdom to thrive within the chaos and complexities of everyday life. Through his shows, books, talks, and workshops, Nick has reached over 5 million people from Los Angeles to Shanghai. Over 25 years of research and effort, he has developed a proven methodology for conscious change by seamlessly and rigorously reuniting reason and mysticism, one science paper and spiritual insight at a time. Nick shares the profound ideas in a playful yet practical way, helping people present a sense of awe and connection whilst gaining insights into their own physiology and psychology. Nick, it's so wonderful to have you with us today. Yes, it really is. Um, I got a shiver of what some, not necessarily me, would describe as Kundalini energy rising as you described <laughs> the love and truth um, party and the project. Um, and it reminded me of our uh, furious alignment in, in pretty much everything uh, that we maybe have some some strands to open up in this conversation. Uh, since the day we met, I'm going to say close to a decade ago, I'm feeling, uh, in California on a sunny day in uh, Marin County, I believe it was. Yeah, I, I recall that well and reading an essay of yours and just being so excited because someone had uh, written an essay that if I could, if I had the same uh, energy and uh, essay writing skills, I would have written myself. It just <laughs> articulated my views and perspectives so so wonderfully well. So it feels quite special to have journeyed and now be in in dialogue around a, a topic that um, I think on, on the on the one hand it, it's very much representative of what unites our views, and also I think as you say we'll have some interesting strands of of difference perhaps that we can explore in in dialogue today. And that the topic is spiritual atheism, which is the topic of your of your new book. Right. I think I actually remember, and this is maybe where the seed of the title came from. I think I remember a conversation we had where I said, I'm an atheist and a, a, a spiritual believer, teacher, whatever. And you said, I think, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, and I think that would be a great uh, start point for us to um, unlock, again, as you say, what unites us um, so powerfully, clearly from uh, the description of your work and what I know my work is about and uh, yet probably we have some discernments and differences that would be probably very useful for other people to understand who again attempt 
to live a modern, reasoned, uh, thoughtful life, um, whilst also exploring the, the ecstatic, the meditative, the joyful, the bliss of, or as you called it, unit of consciousness. So that's, it, for me, it's like it's such an urgent conversation. Yes, and I think where we, where we met strongly was around the complementarity of science and, and spirituality, the meditative and the contemplative, as, mm -hmm. as you put it. And that's clearly what the, the, the book is, is pointing towards. And I think that that in itself is a powerful communication. That you can be reasonable, you can have a strong grasp of logic and empiricism and so on, and you'd also be a deeply spiritual person. Where, where we, I think, had that interesting conversation was, for me, atheism takes a particular view in opposition to uh, existing, many different existing views. It's kind of like, my, my playful way of talking about atheism, it's kind of like saying, uh, you ask what your favorite color is and you say it's not pink. Or it's not blue. It's it's just it's just a very negative uh, assertion. And the spiritual aspect I, I, I see deeply in you, and, and the atheist aspect I understand as well. To reject the notion of uh, a sort of traditional uh, masculine figure atop a cloud, um, casting judgment upon people as as one caricature of many. But perhaps you can say a little bit more about what a spiritual atheist is like how these two contrasting elements come together right okay uh, maybe i'll just go back in time to the opening of the first chapter of the book where i'm sitting in a pew of a synagogue i'm going to say 14 or 15 years old i've had my bar mitzvah but i didn't really do any inquiry with it it just was what one did got some money uh, some gifts had a party didn't get to kiss the girl on the dance floor. Well, that's a whole other chapter in the book. Um, and I'm listening to these words about uh, you are our rock, you are our redeemer, you are the, the this kind of religious language. And I, there I am, I, I'm, I'm kind of probably in some form of light depression. Um, uh, lots of, you know, teenage angst, but also stuff from being a child of a divorce. And, and over many weeks, I, I, I just got this complete sense that this is not feeding my soul, but it's not also making any rational sense either. Um, and um, I basically realized that this way of thinking, this religiosity had nothing for me. And I became a militant atheist, like a really anti-God, anti-religion, anti-God uh, kind of person. I just like, proper sort of Richard Dawkins style, snarling, a snarling atheist, I would, I would describe myself as. Um, and in some ways, I still am. Like I really, um, I, have a I have almost like a physical, um, what's the word, uh, almost physical rep repulsion from a lot of what I see as religiosity in New Age, in the New Age conversation. A lot of the magical thinking, a lot of the sort of platitudes and, 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 and uh, superstitions within it. Um, but as you know, that sort of traditional atheism, what I would call materialist atheism, because um, I distinguish between spiritual and materialist atheism. So materialist atheism very much says, only what you can prove with science is real. And science can only prove things that are about matter, because matter needs to be measured to have science, any form of science really. Um, and that, both as a philosophy of life and as a, a philosophy of, of inquiry, as a professional inquiry, 
came to a sort of screeching end in my 20s um where i realized it, it it gave me a lot but not very much at the same time um and that's when i went off into this description a discovery of what does spirituality mean what does it say what does it not say different flavors different traditions different schools and yeah i never i didn't say okay i'm going to give up on science i was like okay i get that science must have some limits but i don't know what didn't we really know what they were um didn't we really know where it's it's sort of it's purview it's it's disciplinary boundaries were and where spirituality is disciplinary boundaries are um, and so that's really where I went deep and long uh, many years and this book is a kind of um, weaving together of those two disciplines which I see as having two distinct views on the same reality so I don't believe these are two different views I think it's a fudge to say we've got two magisteria religion over here and science over here and they don't connect because I'm a unity of consciousness person. I believe there's only one thing, um, whether you call it no thing or something to be discussed. Um, and that's where the sort of idea from, so it's kind of, so my book was kind of written more for the atheist who's struggling to thrive, to be happy, because they've got, they don't realize that their atheism is one of two types. It's a materialist atheism. They don't understand that that, that, that is a, a thing. Um, so for me, a spiritual atheist, rejects God uh, as a person, as a personal God, as an entity that's separate from ourselves. Um, it rejects a dogma, uh, as in rules that were created usually 3,000 years ago, whether it's not eating shellfish, uh, whether it's um, walking with a certain leg out of a urinal, um, rejects those rules, rejects a priestly class as well, rejects any sense of anyone's got any privileged connection to anything that you don't have, anything that's better than you, including gurus. Um, so that's for me the atheism part. It's a rejection of the encrusted solidification of a liquid experience. But it also says materialism is only one uh, view or lens on reality. And there's this whole other lens that you get from closing your eyes often to have to, you could dance uh, with your eyes open. Um, you could take some medicine plants, you could do all sorts of different things. Because once you get in inside, science can never get inside here ever and yet if we don't have that wisdom and insights from that science a different kind of science a science of contemplation a science of the inside then we only ever got half of reality that we're guiding our life by and that's why we have so much pain and that's why i've met and know so many atheists who struggle so much with life because they don't think they can allow themselves this connective experience this unitive experience and it, it seems that science or I think you were talking about the limits of the discipline. Science has perhaps overstepped its boundaries in making a, a philosophy or, or a worldview out of really some very uh, sketchy pieces of data. And I would suggest that we're coming to that place within science, perhaps even within the mainstream more and more, where there's a recognition that materialism as, as, a, as, a, as an ontology, as a fundamental uh, truth, is just not holding up with the evidence. And we're sort of clutching around with dark energy and dark matter and 11 string theory and all these wonderful theories that are um, not helpful in any way. And I, and I hear that the personal um, pragmatism of like how we live thriving lives, how we flourish is a, is a key concern for you. And when the atheism that has all those probably I think most people would agree with much of what you were pointing to there in terms of rejecting the priestly class and not giving our power away and and uh, not uh, blindly following dogma that's uh, millennia old. 
all, all that can be uh, easily agreed to. But when, it's, when there's a worldview that people live from, that removes awe, removes connection, removes love, removes um, all these deeper values, it, it, it leaves people flailing somewhat. So I'm, I'm really, I think, feeling excited about this idea of offering, um, say, saying, yes, I, I hear you to the atheist, and then offering something that is grounded in science and reason and logic, but expansive and supportive of their flourishing as well. Right. I mean, I, as you say, there's, there's, there's two considerations here. Practically, if you don't have access to all bliss, joy, love, purpose, connection, I don't, know if, I don't think it's possible to live a thriving life. I really don't. And I'd be really bold and say that. Um, certainly, I know everything I've really ever wanted in life has come from that. All the other stuff I had previously the wealth, the success, the material gain, the, the fame was just as nothing compared to being able to feel connection with you right now with people and to feel it, not just imagine it, just feel it, feel a continuity um, with my kids, with my wife, to be able to dip into my own insights and intuition. So that's a very practical consideration. I don't think it's possible to thrive without this second half of, of reality. But then, as you say, from physics or and even bi biology, which is even more materialistic usually than physics, um, we can't really explain evolutionary theory completely using what we know from material studies. There's gaps in our understanding. I mean, mutation, how does mutation create creativity, which is, you know, uh, expansion? How does it happen that we seem to have convergence in evolution as well as divergence? They're just things that are unexplained. Um, and so even in, in, in biology, people are talking about a sort of quantum revolution and an evolutionary theory um, in the same way that quantum mechanics filled in so many gaps in, in, in uh, Newtonian physics. So whether we're philosophers from a point of view of having a metaphysics, an ontology that just makes sense of the available evidence, whether it's evolution, whether it's dark energy, whether it's um, near-death experiences, whether it's just, the, the just intuition, just that one thing alone which I know as a lived experience is vital. Science can now prove it also is vital in making better decisions if you blend reason with intuition. Um, there's a study on uh, traders in the city of London, those that trade from both the data and their own sense to get better outcomes, right? That's the money, I mean, that's... So science can show that purpose reduces the amount of Alzheimer's in people's brains. Science can tell you that love heals wounds. Uh, psychological wounds and po possibly physical wounds but what science can never tell you is what purpose is what love is what connection is what intuition is or how to get it so if you know these things are scientifically proven as evidence even if you don't want to even go into near-death experiences and and um uh alter states of reality all these other things that are also evidence-based but even if you don't want to go there just your own experience of life um if science can't explain it, or material science can't explain it then we need to bring something else in. And we just, otherwise we're gonna have an incomplete understanding of this beautiful reality we're in. And spirituality is a fairly broad term. So the right. spiritual atheist, you've touched on a few aspects of spirituality. So I think I'm hearing that you're recognizing the validity of aspects of many forms of atheism. And then you're bringing in this new path or this new perspective that uh, opens up an individual's flourishing and thriving. And can you say something about this word spiritual? What does this mean for you? And what, uh, my, yeah. My least favorite word, probably. Um, I say in the intro to the new book, I say, you know, whether you want to call this spirituality is up to you. It's 
the best word we've got and the worst word we've got for this thing. Um, you know, as Wittgenstein, the philosopher said, you know, language bewitches us. Uh, it gets, it's the best we've got, but it's also limits because as soon as you say a word, it stops people going into what it actually is. Um, so spirituality for me is distinct from new age. So I want to make sure that's clear. So new age for me is an aesthetic. It's a movement. It's a community of which some of it is spiritual. Some of it isn't uh, in terms of what I understand spirituality to mean. So I first want to distinguish that for people, that genuine spirituality, you can be a hipster and you can be a hippie. It really doesn't matter what you wear. Um, also said that the, uh, there's a the Mind Body Spirit show in London last year, which I haven't been invited back to. Um, all the tchotchkes on sale downstairs, the crystals and the this and the that and the uh, things that hang down, whatever, all that stuff, great, use it. If that helps you access this thing, great, but you don't need it. Um, you don't need a meditation cushion. You don't need an app. You need practices to get inside. So that's for me is, is it makes it simple. So for me, spirituality, the way I think of it is the way we discuss what it feels like to go inside our own consciousness and experience that we are not separate from other things, as the materialism shows, likes to think. This glass is not separate from me. I am part of this glass and it's part of me. Um, and that realization, as you say, when integrated, uh, comes into a metaphor of love or the feeling of love. We embody that feeling, that sense of unity of love. We see it or hear it in our heads as truth and we act on it in compassion, creativity, collaboration. So those are facets of unity as, as people would, would describe it. That for me is spirituality. Um, then other things come around that which may or may not be spirituality, I don't know. But for me, the, the juxtaposition of those two words was important to get some attention to this conversation. The original name for the book was actually going to be The Atheism Breakthrough um, in terms of the trap of materialist atheism. But I actually like the idea of spiritual atheism as a, as a metaphor, a metaphysics. And at the end of each chapter, which is a book, each chapter is about a certain part of life and a part of the world I've been in a bit of personal journey there's some principles that I've learned from that bit of the world which when put together are the beginnings of a manifesto of spiritual atheism um, but not one that I need to own one that I hope other people uh, add to and refine but being clear that for me spirituality is about principles not rules religious religions about rules spirituality is about principles that seem to be timeless seem to make sense but it means every one of us has to take the principle and reapply it in that moment to career to money to health because uh, they're alive um, and there's no way to escape from that we have to bring ourselves fully into principles whereas rules are kind of easy We're like okay there's a rule i don't eat this or i go to church on this day and that's my life. Um, so I think that's for me as a description of spirituality is, is essentially an understanding that we are all connected, oneness, non-duality, whatever you want to call it, doesn't really matter. Um, and then the use of that experience in life. Well, a, a word that you didn't mention in that list there would, would be love. Absolutely. Which, which is perhaps as problematic in some ways as, as energy, as, as a sort of word where a physicist and a, and a new ager might have a very different use of the word, but I think love as, as an impersonal force or as an impersonal presence is actually a very 
easy way, a very direct way that we can find that intersection because we, we know what it is to experience care and compassion and love in interaction with another. We know what it is to probably observe someone who's, who's, who, who is connected. It's a, it's a very simple and, and, and straightforward um, ob observable reality. The fact that science has not yet got a, a scale of love or has not yet been able to, to, to measure the vibration of love. I mean, who knows, maybe there's some Russian uh, researcher who has um, in some age book, but there it, it, it seems to be something powerful in actually claiming the validity of that, claiming this, this value of, 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 of love, as, of peace. These words can be um, diminished or devalued perhaps through a, a, a realistic, hard-hitting, empirical view. But I think there's actually nothing woo-woo or slight about love and peace. They're, they're, they're very real, very, very grounded. And, and perhaps science would do well to explore more, um, you know, a la sort of Institute of Noetic Sciences, to, to mm -hmm. give it powerful lens of inquiry to maybe to, you know, to assessing how can you measure love? How can love be empirically determined? It could be a, a breakthrough of, um, of some, some profundity. I mean, I totally agree. So I, I use the term love a lot in my work and in the book. And for me, love is the, the human feeling of connection. So we, when we feel connected to everything, the predominant feeling is peace as well and, and truth and purpose and everything. But the feeling is love. So as long as we distinguish lo that love uh, from uh, sexual lust um, and that sort of more dopamine-driven, I want to fuck, fornicate, forage, um, uh, as they say, then yes, absolutely. And as you say, love is a, a it's the, the, you know, as there's a great disco track that says love is the message. Yes, I think that's really the nubble of it and the nubble of my reluctant conversion into spirituality i should should say you know i was happy being an atheist it, being a rationalist atheist in england is a totally mainstream sport uh it's really actually probably how you get ahead it's very hard to get ahead in business in politics uh in media uh with any form of spirituality and in fact i've discovered that to my uh challenge in that i've lost a lot of work a lot of all different types of opportunities because i'm out here expressly saying I'm guided by love. But I think the word you used about love that's so important is a self-resourcing love. Um, if the love we have is, connect, is dependent upon another human um, telling us we're good, etc., it's not really the love we're talking about. Um, if it's dependent upon the feeling of attraction, again, it's not the love we're talking about. So the love for me that's the, the lock or the unlock of all spirituality is the feeling you have yourself when you open your heart and open up your mind and you feel a love coming into you that's already there, that's existent in your cells because you're part of the universe. Your atoms are part of this physical reality and any other form of reality. That's the love we need because that's the feeling of connection to all that is. And then we feel this limitless love, which is the only thing I know, whether we call it, sometimes people call, about, call that limitless love purpose or peace or compassion, that's fine. But this limitless love is the only thing that I know that's bigger than the fear uh, of life, the fear of change, the fear of relationship, the fear of career, the fear, ultimately the fear of death. It's the only thing I know. And that's what convinced me that unless I got really good at that self-resourcing of limitless love, my life would be constantly jerking between highs and lows, highs and lows, success, failure, success, failure, uh, expansion, contraction. 
Um, and that's why love is the human language of connection. And I, and I mentioned it, I think, in the middle of the freeze uh, as a great disco track, and it's just called Love is the Message. Um, and that's it. If we didn't have anything else, that would be enough. Now, of course, the challenge then becomes how do you access that limitless love? And that's, I guess, where you and I spend a lot of our time guiding people. Yeah, to have that practical, accessible um, tools and techniques so that in the, I think in your bio, in, in the chaos and the complexities of life, an individual is able to, whether it be through meditation or centering prayer or, or, or tapping or, or some sort of mental affirmation, you know, whatever, whatever works really is, I'm, I'm pretty um, uh, free and easy when it comes to utilizing different spiritual traditions different wisdom traditions different types of psychology and so on and even, it's kind even of religious practices if, if that's absolutely you um as long as you don't bring necessarily the dogma and the priestly power and the and the disempowerment with it and that seems to be a really key it's certainly a key message of love and truth past you know that for each of us individually it's a key part of our, our work is to genuinely empower people to actually and there's no greater power an individual can have i feel than to access love than to actually be able to open up their physicality and their psychology to the experience of love to the experience of well-being not just um in the good times but of course especially in the challenging times when you know the, the child is rushed to hospital or when our partner is going through uh, a traumatic experience or any number of challenges that we're going to face as human beings. So it's, it's kind of sad when I hear, and I know that it's true, it's not news for me, but it's still sad when I hear that the focusing upon this, the leading with this as being valuable, is somehow um, uh, a, a, a no-go within, within English culture. And I, I had a small experience myself. Most of my work is in uh, the US and, and Australia and, and Europe. But I recall... I was invited or I was looking to set up a talk and I shared the title of my book, Blessed with a Brain Tumor. And I know you would have fed back at the time that in this word blessed, it's a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> a, a, an iffy one. And the, the guy said to me, I think, I think you're, you need to find a more spiritual group. And I was just really, really struck by how that communication that a brain tumor, that a, that a bad thing could be experienced as good and an opportunity for growth could be somehow um, not received because it sounds a little bit spiritual. I, why do you think that might be that it, it does seem to be in England in particular, we have an aversion to this, this empowerment. I would say England and Anglo-Saxon centers. So there are probably people in power in Melbourne, Sydney, New York, LA who feel the same way and, and are rabidly against that stuff, whatever that stuff is, which is, as you say, the reason why I wrote my book is because that self-empowerment through experiencing love is for me the most important principle of empowerment, of thriving, of life. So why wouldn't it be the, thing, the first thing we learn in school, the first thing we talk about in a meeting, the first thing we use in a strategy workshop, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, which it is at the moment because purpose is coming into those conversations. For me, purpose is a metaphor for love. It's another way of saying love. Um, but just to, before I, I go into that a little bit more, the, the irony of all this is my, I just had a very sort of soft PR launch in the UK around this book uh, with a professional PR guy, you know, going off emailing journalists. And he said one Guardian journalist delisted him 
uh, his news his PR newsletter after receiving the email spiritual atheist, um, which he's some a guy who'd been on his list for fifteen years. Um, so that gives you a sense of how frosty um, and uh, cynical and critical this uh, atheistic culture, this materialist atheistic culture is. Um, fascinating. Very curious. I, I hope it was a coincidence, but uh, it does sound to I be... I don't think it was. He was the yeah. PR guy was processing it, <laughs> let me say. Um, I mean, for me, very, again, practically, it's, it's interesting because... So I used to keep these two parts of my work different, separate, uh, and now recently brought them together in one website, one brand, one everything. Um, and so now if you're a CEO of a bank, like the people I'm doing a keynote next week, um, and you want to go on our web, my website, you can then also find meditations on love. You can find this video at some point. Um, you'll find videos of me running crazy ecstatic dance parties all over the world. And that was a massive challenge for me because of, of how much I've lost. And, and I, I have, I'm a parent, I'm a father, and I have livelihoods to manage. So bringing this together, and even last week I ran a workshop, a leadership workshop, so it comes into my work from a different lens from, from this wisdom and spiritual uh, lens, but you get to the same room. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to put Spiritual Atheist up on the slides as a, as a book to buy of my new book, because I'm very aware that some people will see the S word and devalue the work because of it, or may do. Uh, and actually did in the end, and I think a couple of people bought it. Um, but that's how intense it is. That I, I literally can lose the people I've already got, let alone future customers, because I might use that word. Uh, so it's a big risk for me, this book, um, which is crazy, right? Because it's the most important thing that we've both experienced, uh, that we have to learn in life. Um, and both of us have been, you know, smart, smart, educated, you know, people. And that's the great learning. So there are many reasons, I think, because of religion's, um, you know, negative impacts, abuse, child abuse, uh, superstition, burning people around these parts where I live. Um, and also, I think also people have also issues around a lot of the new age memes, which I understand as well. So um, uh, there's a whole inflamed cultural issue around immunizations. Um, around treatments like uh, the ones that you've engaged with and, and, and explored around whether it's cancer or anything else. Um, there's, uh, there are touch points in culture. You know, you've got jihadists literally murdering people in the name of what they would call some form of spirituality. We might disagree. Um, and uh, so that brings up a lot of suspicion. Yeah, I don't, uh, let's, let's be clear, I don't think that they would or anyone would pretend that jihadism or those types of Islam are, are, are a form of spirituality. I think there's a very clear distinction between spirituality and the religions and sub-religions and cults and sects that <laughs> form. And what's, what's curious for me is that the reactive aversion to a new book title that let's 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 uh, roll out this this guardian journalist experience it is precisely the uh, identity driven fear driven um zealous position of the jihadist you know it, it, it's it's it, it's such it's a religious a, position it's a religious position in my world it's a faith-based position which, which is a, a cosmic joke. I mean, we have to laugh because the individual such as Richard Dawkins would, would proselytize reason and logic and evidence 
but of course uh, I, I always wanted to get the, the name of the German scientist. I did read the quote. He said, even if you provide evidence for that, I will not believe it. <laughs> so so, so the, the, yeah, he, was, he was at least open about not being open. And I really uh, admire your courage in mixing with the power centers and, and with people of influence and so on. And yet being in integrity and in alignment with, uh, with what's true for you, with what you know works. Right. And I'm, I'm hopeful and confident that there'll be far more people who are reached, maybe even a CEO now, sort of like, what's, what's that? And then actually getting into the meditation and maybe experiencing it. I mean, that's, that's um, powerful seeds that you're sowing around the place there, Nick. Mm, thank you. It's, it's a daily conscious practice for me not to either drop one of my areas of work um, to just do leadership and not do the spiritual personal development piece um, or to just do spiritual personal development and go full, full metal jacket on it, you know, full love jacket. Um, uh, but for some reason, because of some how my biographical history and my uh, scientific res uh, credentials and my uh, real world credentials, I seem to be this person who can bring otherwise uh, rejecting people not necessarily the guardian guy but certainly the ones who i call love curious who are sort of like, mm, that dancing i did at that festival was in, was felt somehow interesting well that mindfulness they taught me at work that seemed to open some experience for me those are the people who i really feel like for whatever reason i was born i was born to to engage and help transform and help them learn the tools and it's not a com i have to say it's not a comfortable place for me to be as for my own uh protective personality my 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 egoic uh stuff um but it's just what seems to be the thing yeah tough tough titties it's your dharma <laughs> exactly <laughs> no one said it was going to be easy and that's actually an important point about spirituality is is if anyone's selling you the idea that that spirituality is the easy path the, the the bliss path the escape path then it's spiritual escape it's not spirituality because you and i both know that when you really commit to love to loving yourself, to loving others, to loving the internet when it breaks in the middle of a really joyous uh, call. That commitment is so huge and so big that then my belief and, the, and, and metaphysics, the universe will then shove, throw everything at you to really test, can you be in love in the moments where it's really challenging, whether it's a brain tumor, whether it's whatever, all of these other crises and things. And that is the hardest path. And I'm very clear in this book, if you think spirituality is the way out, it's not. It's the way in. It's lean in, do the work, five hours a day, 10 hours a day. I'm married to a wisdom teacher. All my friends are in this work, most of them. And it's just constant amount of transformational material to go through. I'm not sure it ever ends. And if it does, maybe that's the moment you no longer need to be in this material world. Nicely, nicely demonstrated. And, and I wonder if that's... Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Oh, that's quite nicely ambiguous. Perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if that also is perhaps why there is a resistance to spirituality because it's actually pointing people to an extraordinary degree of personal responsibility saying that your health, your emotional experience ultimately is your responsibility. Mm. You, know, you are the one that is in charge, not the guru, not the expert militant atheist not the the doctor but ultimately it's you with your day-to-day decision making the development of your consciousness of your psychology of your physicality and that's a degree of responsibility that's never been particularly popular in human history right. and the irony is we both know the paradox that 
is spiritual journeying is that you are utterly responsible yet there's no you mm -hmm. and that is the joy the <laughs> paradox the joke the everything and it's uh, you know it's one that i can get fully pulled back into trying to work square that circle uh, before i open my heart and rise and, and absorb the circle and the square together um, and yeah it's it's unpopular um and it's it's radical and it's and you know it's it's so painful a lot of the time and it's you know integrating the shadow as people call it it's a it's a huge um i mean i probably spend i'm not joking and i'm sure you you're the same i probably spend at least with not even including my actual professional teaching or writing of this content i probably spend three hours a day reflecting meditating talking to my wife talking to somebody else getting some insight into what's blocking me what's stopping me what's not working for me where my patterning is where my trauma is um, I've been doing it for 15 years and it's still like huge amount of time and energy into this stuff. Um, and, uh, I think there's so much fear about what it means and also what, what you might have to lose. Will I lose my power? Will I lose my reputation? And I think we underestimate how powerful that is in society and the power causes you call them or the power centers is, will I lose my, not my money is, I think it's much less important. Will I lose my reputation? Will I lose who I, who I have become. Uh, I, you know, I've worked all my life to be someone and now you're asking me to be no one. You know, well, that's terrifying. You know, F you, let's not invite you back for another workshop. Let's uh, not have your book on our podcast. <laughs> and of course, you're at the very edge of that in your own personal experience as well. Right. It's, it's really uh, delicious to see the inner and the outer and the, the micro and the macro, the personal and the collective reflected in, 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 in that very piece. Mm. And again, what I feel is the resolution and I, I suspect is, is yours on a regular basis is again and again and again and again to, to come back to connection, to come back to that embodied experience of wholeness, of well-being, of goodness. And that, my friend, is priceless. And you know, it's, it's such a privilege on this podcast to be having conversations with people such as yourself, with uh, Dr. Rick Hansen, with uh, Dean Radin, with individuals that are pioneers on the edge of consciousness and on the edge of culture. So I'm really um, excited to share your wisdom and, and presence with, with our audience and also, of course, to give them the opportunity to connect with you, whether they have a, an organization or uh, whatever it might be that they want to get into contact with you. Switchonnow.com is the, the best website for you. Is that correct? Hopefully that's the only website. Having spent five years letting go of websites. Yeah, I had to, I had to check because last time I spoke, I think maybe you had half a dozen. But now it's switchonnow.com is the place to go to book Nick Everything, and keynote speaker. That's the, the source. Um, the there's stuff on Facebook. There's a community on Facebook. There's a community on LinkedIn. If you're in the transformational leadership conversation, um, obviously social channels, whatever, but that's just, if you want to go one place, that's the place. Um, if you want to look at the book, it's available, um, in a couple of markets, UK, uh, I think Australia, Germany, spiritual atheist, um, not spiritual atheism, spiritual atheist by Nick Jankel, uh, and it'll be available in the U S uh, and other parts of the world coming soon. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. I really appreciate it. And to our audience, if you've enjoyed this production and would like to support the creation of more similar programming, more brilliant people such as Nick sharing their wisdom with the world and feel resonance with the call to be of service to an emergent human culture, 
please join us. You can download Love Letters, sign up for our newsletter, like and follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and even consider a financial gift for this Love's mission at loveandtruthparty.org. Thank you to all our supporters and contributors. Together we are creating kind, conscious, courageous human community.